Tarting up the grim surroundings with primary prints and pot plants didn't change the ambiance. Pain and shame lingered here, almost tangibly. Bev slouched back in a not-so-easy chair and blew out her cheeks in a sigh. She was acutely aware that counting tiles wasn't the most productive use of her time, but she couldn't talk to the victim, Laura Kenyon, until the police doctor cleared it. He'd been in the examination room with the teenager for two hours. Bev glanced at her watch. It was 9.05 already. Make that two hours twenty. She picked at a few strands of fraying fabric on the arm of the chair. If the day had panned out according to the best laid, etc., she'd be down the bullring flashing plastic with her best mate Frankie. A burger at the Hard Rock Cafe and Johnny Depp at the UGC had been on the cards for later. Mental note. Call Frankie. The girl was going to kill her. Again. Working on a Saturday was a concept Frankie had yet to grasp. Missing out on a day off, Bev could live with. But she deeply regretted eschewing a bowl of bran or a bacon roll during her hasty departure from a house she still couldn't quite think of as home. Her stomach was making gurgling sounds reminiscent of faulty plumbing or a dodgy balty. She rummaged through the pockets of her denim jacket for chocolate or chewing gum. Nada. Earlier, en route from the incident room, she'd grabbed the Operation Streetwatch files, a bit of light reading while she waited for the action. She skimmed the reports again. It was 99% certain that Laura's rape was the latest in an ongoing inquiry that had touched just about every officer on the force. Bev knew the top lines by heart. Not surprising, she'd written most of them. She'd been assigned the lead interview role from day one. Her mouth twitched as she recalled how well that had gone down with Mike Powell. D.I. Powell reckoned empathy was his middle name. Fact was, he had the sensitivity of a morbidly obese rhino in a suit of armour. Her relatively high profile on the team was the governor's call. Detective Superintendent Bill Byford rated her interview technique. He claimed she could get Trappists to talk among themselves. She suspected, too, it was a message to the troops that he still had faith in her. She'd cocked up big time earlier in the year, been all ready to jack in the job. The gov had persuaded her to stay, but she was under no illusion. There were still acres of ground to landscape, not just make up. Either way, Byford wanted consistency. It was why she was here now. And given the inquiry's complete lack of progress so far, consistency was about the only thing they did have. Unless Laura Kenyon could give them a break. Laura was the third city teenager to be raped in as many months. In each case, they'd been dragged off the streets in the early hours, then dumped like trash. Bev had only caught a glimpse of the latest victim, but it was enough to confirm that Laura fitted the profile. Like the others, she was pretty, with long blonde hair, blue eyes, and flawless skin. All three were slender and below average height. Slight young women, barely capable of landing a punch, let alone winning a fight. There was another factor that couldn't be ignored. From the back, Laura Kenyon, Rebecca Fox and Kate Quinn could be mistaken for much younger children.
Bev shook her head, but the disquieting thought was still there. As was another. There was little doubt the attacks were down to the same offender. With hindsight, the signs had been evident back in September. Then, a month later, another attack with an almost identical M.O. Sokos were still at the scene of Laura's rape, but Bev was sure they'd find the same sick signature. The first two victims had each been missing an earring. It could be coincidence. Bev thought not. Serial sickos often took trophies, pathetic reminders of what big brave men they were.